to Jordan. Here's Michael at the foul line. A shot on Elo. Good! The Bulls win! Playoffs? We'll talk about playoffs? You kidding me? I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. Hello? You play to win the game. They're down to the 20. All the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. I don't believe what I just saw. One of the all-time shockers. Hey, everyone. I'm Mitch Goldich, and welcome to episode nine of my very creatively named Mitch Goldich podcast. And I have to say, it feels good to be back which is kind of a thing that you say when you haven't done something in a while, even though technically I'm sitting in my apartment, so I say that I'm back, but I'm kind of here all the time. But I think you know what I mean. It's my first Mitch Golich podcast in a while, and I was actually thinking about it before I started, that if you subscribe here but you don't follow me anywhere else, you might have been wondering where I was or possibly even worried uh, about me, but I'm doing fine, and I've actually been very busy because I've been podcasting a lot. Uh, For those who don't know, I was hosting a podcast this summer during the Olympics for Sports Illustrated, which uh, was a ton of fun. It was daily, and we we taped every night at like three o'clock in the morning, uh, called SI at the Games, and it ended up it was actually peaked at number six on the iTunes charts for sports podcasts, which was very cool and a lot of fun. So thanks to all of you who listened to that and rated and reviewed it, and I think some of you who are listening to this for the first time might be new and have come over from that. So. Uh, Thanks to all of you, and I appreciate it. And if you have a minute to uh, share a review or a rating, uh, I think that went a long way in helping that other podcast be successful. So if you've got a, a minute to do that for this one, too, I'd really appreciate it. And if you don't already follow me, you can on Twitter at Mitch Goldich, or you can find my Facebook page, Mitch Goldich Sports Writer, on Facebook, and then you'll be able to actually keep up with all the other stuff that I'm doing. I have a story that I'll be writing for SI this week, which I promise to uh, post everywhere. So... Part of the reason I bring that up, my other podcast, is because today I'm really excited about my guest that I have here, and it's somebody who I sort of met, at least virtually, through that other experience. And if you listen to the Olympics podcast regularly, you might actually remember her. Uh, Her name is Nicole Young, and usually I talk to people in sports media, but Nicole's on for a different reason. She recently finished through-hiking the entire Appalachian Trail, which is insane. She hiked thousands of miles. And uh, we actually met her because she was listening to my other podcast and she sent some emails and it was pretty fun. I followed the very end of her journey on Instagram and discovered some blogs she'd written and was just fascinated by the whole thing and thought it would be a lot of fun to have her on and chat with her about the whole experience. So now that she has very patiently sat through that long introduction, Nicole, if you're still there, hello. Hi, I'm still here. Okay, great. Well, thanks. It's good to have you on. I really appreciate you making the time for this. Yeah, it's so cool being able to talk to you after hearing the Olympic podcast all summer. Really fun. <laughs> yeah, it's funny um, when you know the sound of my voice very well. And then it was, it was that <laughs> moment when I call you and you said hello. And I was like, I wonder what she's going to sound like. But now I know. <laughs> yeah, I already knew what you sounded like. No surprise there. <laughs> yeah, you spent a little too much time with my voice probably. <laughs> no, um, it was great. Can we – let's start. How did – so how did we meet? But like how did we first interact? <laughs> like I, I don't uh, remember you – I think there was like a story. How, how did you first find the podcast and then end up reaching out to us? And I say us because I co-hosted it with Alex Abnos, uh, my coworker at SI. But how did, how did this even happen that you found our podcast and then reached out to us and we started talking to you? Yeah, so I was in the middle of my through hike when the Olympics started because I think that was early August or something. Uh, so I'd been hiking for about three months and I realized I planned terribly because 2016 I was missing the Olympics while hiking the AT. 
Um, so my buddy and I were just looking for a way we assumed there would be some kind of daily podcast somewhere that would do like normal news updates and we could not find one. And, uh, yeah, he finally found you guys and you were so fun and like so unexpected. Uh, you know, we thought it would be kind of dry, kind of standard reading out results. And, uh, he and I, we both listened to you. We just loved you. Had a blast listening to you guys. And uh, I remember I was sitting in a shelter in Vermont one night. It was my first night in Vermont, um, about 1,700 miles in, I think. And I actually had cell service, which is rare. So I thought I'd shoot you guys an email and just say, hey, thanks so much for letting a bunch of, like, dirty, smelly, hippie hikers uh, know what's going on with the Olympics out in the real world. So we really appreciated that. Sure. Well, I'm glad my first question was basically, tell us how much you enjoyed my other thing that I used to do. <laughs> it was <laughs> good, great. <laughs> good icebreaker way to start. I also love how casually you just say, uh, oh, we were about 1,700 miles in. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, the numbers kind of start being uh, less real as you get further in. Yeah. Do you have the final stats for how many nights you were out there and how many miles? And I was also wondering, like, if you had an iPhone, like, if you know how many steps you took. But do you do you have like, the final <laughs> numbers for the for the summer? Or for the yeah, like longer yeah. Than the summer. So I spent 151 days, so 150 nights. I started April 25th and finished September 22nd, so just shy of five months, which is, you know, on the quick side of average, but not really remarkable. Um, I averaged about 15 miles a day. I took 20 zero days, which is when you hike no miles. Um, and I carried about 20 pounds a day. Are those all the stats you, you were interested in? <laughs> yeah. Well, what's, what was the total number of miles? Okay. So the Appalachian Trail is 2,189.1 miles in 2016. It's a little different every year, but that's this year's official number. Um, Wait, I actually, time out. Why is it, how is it different every year? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, things get rerouted. I don't know if you heard. There were some forest fires this year. Um, oh. There are always sections that get really eroded, or a lot of it goes through private land that people just kind of give verbal permission for to the Appalachian Trail Conservancy. So if they change their mind or they want you to go through a different field, it's just always changing depending on local. There's so many different municipalities involved. So it's always being shuffled, and there's a lot of people putting work into it. So, yeah, it changes. And uh, yeah, so that was this year's number. It was 2189.1. I think next year it might be 30 miles longer. So this was a good year to get into out. it. Yeah. I did, yeah. Um, and how did you track your progress? Were you, like, using a map or were you just uh, at different checkpoints? Um, I, well, I guess two questions. Did you have a goal going in uh, of, like, okay, I'm going to do – I'm going to get to this spot by this point and do this many miles a day and then sort of track towards your goal? Or did you just kind of – hike and see how far you get and then at the end of the day see where you are like how, how did that whole uh like planning phase for uh you know for checkpoints go yeah it's kind of a combination of all of the above so there are guidebooks that you can uh buy the one i used was the awol guide awol he's a guy who's hiked and he's a big data guy so he wrote one with all these mile markers you really don't need a map for the AT because it's pretty much impossible to get lost. Um, if you can follow a three-foot wide trail through the woods, you're going to be fine. Um, I knew I wanted to finish by October 10th because my one-year wedding anniversary was October 11th. Um, so I wanted to be back in time for that, which gave me a, about, what was that, about five and a half months. Yeah, so I got done about three weeks ahead of schedule. Um, 
I didn't really know what my daily pace would be going in because you just don't know what your body's going to be up for. Um, some parts you can struggle and only do like 10 miles a day and some days you bang out 30. So it's really inconsistent. Um, so I just kind of took it day by day, checked into how I was feeling, looked at kind of the big picture and uh, turns out I'm a little faster than I thought I was. So that was a nice surprise. <laughs> Nice. All right. I have a question, and maybe this should have been my first question for you, yeah. but very simple and direct. Why do you do this? And maybe that's the <laughs> question. question. I'm sure you've gotten that question from many people, but why, what made you decide to do this? Um, so I started backpacking like three years ago with some friends, and I had never really been in the woods before. Um, we went out west for four-day four trips at a time. Uh, we went three years in a row to Yosemite and Tetons and Zion. And I just fell in love with it. And, uh, you know, I'm a pretty, pretty petite lady. I'm 5'2 and 105 pounds soaking wet. So I've never been particularly athletic or good at anything very physical. Um, so it was kind of a really pleasant surprise to find out that this was something that I could do and kind of feel like a, a badass. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but like kind of feel tough and feel like I can do it and keep up with people regardless of their size or strength. Um, so I kind of decided to go all in and what's the biggest, best, most talked about hike. And it's the Appalachian trail is kind of the, you know, one of the, the premier long distance hiking trails in the world. Um, and you know, I, I know a few people who have done it and it just seemed like something that I could maybe do, but there was still that feeling of like, let's see if I can or not. Let's just find out, jump in, see how it goes. Yeah. So I read uh, a few of your blog posts and one of them I saw, I was really, uh, I mean, I was, you know, it was kind of, I don't know the right words, but I saw it. I was just, I guess I was just like struck by it. But uh, you wrote it and I'll, I'll quote you here. You said, I, I can't shake the feeling that my hike is selfish. I'm leaving my husband, my family, my friends, three jobs, my business, my house. I'm missing weddings and baby showers and births. I'm losing 150 days of time with people I love. I'm spending thousands of dollars instead of putting money toward my student loans or retirement. And I read that and it was just like, that was when it kind of hit me. Like it's how big this decision is and how much you're giving up to do it. And so it's, you know, it's obviously you thought about it. It's not something you just did on a whim and said, oh, I have nothing going on. Let me just do this. And and you already mentioned you had just gotten married. You're a newlywed yeah. in your first year. So how, how did you get past that, that? That feeling of all the stuff you're leaving behind, is that something you you get past and get over, or is that something you were still dealing with a lot while you were out there? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think it kind of started out where I was just curious to see how it would feel just to say I'm through hiking the AT without necessarily having intention of actually following through on it. Um and the more I said it, the more I realized it's something that I really want to do. And, you know, it's so easy to have these things on a bucket list and never get around to it. And you wake up and it's kind of cliche, but you wake up one day and you have all these regrets about things that you didn't do. And you know what? It's just like, why can't you? Like, I just feel like there are always ways that you can kind of work around pretty much any excuse that you can come up with. So yeah, I struggled with, you know, leaving my husband behind. We've been married for seven months when I left. Um, to be fair, I had been planning to hike in 2015 and he asked me to put it off until after the wedding. So that was no problem. But um, yeah, there were a lot of doubts when I started and I kind of wondered if I wouldn't just be right back home in about a month, kind of, you know, all right, that was a fun experiment and it didn't work out. 
But the more I was out there, the more I met like-minded people, you know, people my age, people in their 20s, people at retirement age, um, section hikers too. A lot of them said, you know, I wish I'd done it when I was younger. It's so much harder now. My body is not what it used to be. And I just didn't want to get to a point where I wasn't physically able to do it and just kind of wonder what might have been. So, yeah, I guess I guess you could say I got over it eventually. It's something I'm very, very grateful that I had the support and the ability to do. So I certainly don't take it for granted. Um, and I don't think that selfish is necessarily a bad thing. I think a lot of people martyr themselves and put everybody else first and then just end up drained with nothing left to give. So I kind of figured if I could you know, live up to my maximum potential and hopefully inspire other people too, then it's not all about me. Um, hopefully that means other people then can get out there and do whatever they've wanted to do, whether it's hike or something completely unrelated. You know, I hope that what comes out of it is other people recognize that, you know what, if you want to do it, just figure it out and find a way to do it. And you're never going to regret at least trying. And then how did it work out with some of those things you were worried about missing. And I know you did have some Wi-Fi and because I know you sent us a few emails. So you were able to check in with friends and family. Did, once you were done, I mean, were there a lot of those weddings and births and things that you, uh, you know, did you miss more than you expected to or did it end up sort of working out and being OK? You know, it really did work out. Um, I actually came home for a weekend and surprised my husband to go to a wedding and I was here for his birthday. So I was able to make that work. Um and you know what? Yeah, I had friends who had babies and birthdays and yeah, I missed them. But, you know, it was only five months out of my life. It was one summer. Um, and now I'm back and I'm catching up with people. And I feel like we almost have a better connection now because I appreciate my time with them more. So, yeah, you give some stuff up. But you I mean, I have amazing, amazing friends that I met on the trail that I would never have had the opportunity to meet. And I have incredible memories and I have more sense of self and self-confidence. So I think it was completely worth it. And I think that what you miss out on, you gain back tenfold. So if anybody out there is considering doing it, whatever your objections are, just stop making excuses and find a way. And it's totally worth giving it a shot. That's cool. I'm sure anyone who's thinking about it and is listening to this, they, I don't know if they were hoping, like, hopefully she just says not to do it. And then they can, <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure if they're Never. thinking about it, they would probably expect that you're going to, you're going to say it's worth it. Um, yeah. But th that's cool to hear. I, I'm curious about, so, so these friends that you made on the trail, um, so I think you set out to do it by yourself, right? There was nobody did, that yes. was going to do it with you the whole way. So how much time were you actually by yourself <laughs> and how much time were you with other people, because I imagine you meet people and maybe they're in groups and you're by yourself and it's fun to have company for a day. But then also, like, if you're going at a different pace, you just you just like say, OK, see ya. And then like never see them uh, or maybe you run into them again, like 800 miles later. So how, how did that work with just like the, the breakdown of time you're by yourself, time with other people and sort of what those friendships along the trail were like? Yeah, so I did start by myself, um, and I was completely alone for about six hours, and then I got to the first shelter on the trail about eight miles in, and I sat down at the picnic table with a group of uh, four other people, and I ended summiting with all four of those people. One dropped out, but three of those people, uh, four of us all summited together, so we spent probably about 90% of our nights together. It was me and those, that group of people. And that was so not my plan. I did not want to go in and find this one group and latch on to it. And I wanted to be more independent, but they were just such great people. And we just meshed 
and I never had to compromise any of my plans for them and it just worked out. Uh, but that said, you know, we kind of hiked alone during the day and then just met up in the evenings at shelters. So I had a lot of solo time and I got to pace my day however I wanted. Um, and like you said, there were other people, you know, we met one guy the very first night and we didn't see him again until Pennsylvania, you know, a thousand, eleven hundred miles later. Um, so you kind of leapfrog with people. You could be within a day or two of people and never know it. You just run into people that are familiar faces. It kind of turns into like one big family of people that you can catch up with and it's like nothing has changed and um, you just immediately have a bond with them. And it's just a really great community of people. It's it's kind of like college, like you meet people in orientation and you never see them again till senior year or they end up being your best friends and it's fine. You know, it's just, it's the social structure of the trail. Everybody's friendly, everybody's cool. Nice. Um, that's amazing. The very first day you end up I know. meeting. Had they, they, they were all there like together as a group planning to do it together and then you just kind of met up with them and latched on and, and everyone was fine with it or were they also a couple of solos who happened to just start the same day? Uh, myself and a guy, Eric, were solo, and we met up with Daniel and Audrey and Alice. Um, Audrey left us about halfway through. She left to do other amazing things, but Alice and Daniel and Eric and I, we all finished together. It was really amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious because I'm sure it was very tough physically and mentally. So is there a way – I, I – Definitely, I don't know, maybe some of them are, are like, gross, but even, but, like, some of the <laughs> toughest things you dealt with physically, um, like, first, I guess, which was tougher, the mental t uh, toughness or the or the physical stuff you had to deal with, uh, which side? And then I'm curious, just, like, kind of the, some of the toughest physical uh, problems you encountered, whether it was just, like, a sprained ankle or, like, a blister or, like, I don't know, you know, I don't even know, because I, I, I haven't done it, but, uh, <laughs> but which, which side was tougher and, and what were some of the toughest challenges for you? Oh, mentally was definitely tougher. Um, okay. You know, people tell you that going in that it's 90% mental. Uh, it really, really is because at any moment you can pick up your phone if you have service, uh, call a friend and have them come pick you up and you can be home in, you know, eight to 12 hours sitting on your couch, drinking a beer, watching Netflix. So it's hard knowing that you could leave at any moment. But that, at the by same the way, time, that would have been the best yeah. part if you had bailed after a month. <laughs> You could yep. have done that for four months and told everybody, oh, yeah, oh, I, I did the whole thing, but <laughs> nobody would know. <laughs> hiding out and, and drinking beer and watching Netflix for four months. That, that would have been my plan if I had bailed after a month. <laughs> you know, I have one friend who, uh, you know, when the hiking was really tough, he would be behind us saying things like, hey, guys, we've got three months of living expenses saved up. We could be on a beach tomorrow. And I was like, you've got to <laughs> stop. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, the mental stuff was definitely the hardest. So missing home, missing my husband, uh, knowing that I was out there by choice was really hard. But at the same time, you know, I kind of woke up every day and made a decision to be there. And that also made it a little bit easier knowing that it was by choice. Nobody was forcing me to do it. This was something I wanted to do. I'd worked for it. Um, I'd saved for it for years. And that's kind of what kept me out there is, you know, I will always regret if I leave, but if I can just tough it out for eight hours, get into camp, have a hot meal, everything will be better. Um, so some of the hardest mental challenges were, I guess, just really long days. Um, you know, you get halfway through a day, it's been 10 miles, you're tired, it's hot, your feet hurt, you're hungry, you're grumpy, all you want is a cold glass of water, and you look at your guidebook and you realize you still have another 12 miles to go, and it's up and over a mountain, and the water sources are all dry. And it's just like, this sucks. Like I could go home and turn on a tap and just have cold water whenever I wanted. But um, 
being gross and sweaty and hungry, those were all really challenging because it's not something that people in the modern world really have to deal with. So it was very kind of eye-opening to how privileged and cushy things really are at home. Um, physically, I was pretty lucky. Um, my feet hurt kind of all the time, but that's pretty standard. Um, blisters were never really all that bad, although people have some really gnarly ones. Um, usually just a little neosporin and duct tape takes care of that. Um, the worst pain I was ever in was my one month anniversary on the trail. It was May 25th and we collectively decided to do our first 26 mile day. So a marathon day. And it was one of the first really hot days and I was still wearing my thick wool socks and the socks and the sweat and the salt actually like rubbed all the skin off my toes. Um, so they were like, it's really gross, but they were like oozing and raw. And I limped into camp and took my socks off. And there was actually a women's group there, of, like a bunch of like middle-aged ladies. They were the sweetest things. They all had like daughters and kids at home and they all gathered around me and they were so concerned for me and they offered to bring me food and get water for me. And it was really sweet. Um, and I actually had to limp three miles to a road the next day and call a shuttle and go into town and skip 15 miles of trail. So it was really bad. I really couldn't walk for about three days. So luckily we took some time off in town, ate some ice cream, drank some beer, recovered and was able to get back out after a few days. But, um, yeah, I did have to skip some miles. So those 15 are on my mind. Do plan to go back and do them. But after that, oh, really, really no yeah. Oh, wow. oh, yeah. That's awesome. Good for you. I yeah. mean, I, I'm, I guess I shouldn't be surprised to hear that you're going to go <laughs> back and do it. But to me, I mean, uh, you know, I don't think anyone is going to say that you cheated uh, if you <laughs> if you miss 15. But I, but I, I get that. I get that feeling. Yeah. You'd want to go back and feel like you did the whole thing. Exactly. So so um, so this group of four that you were with, did they yeah. were you just like, hey, go ahead. I need to go into town and get set and I'll meet up with you in a couple days or like how did because uh, I, I assume they didn't want to break for you or maybe they did like how did that work with them yeah no it was great we were actually uh, the trail goes right through that town it's Damascus Virginia and the trail literally comes down a mountain right down Main Street and goes back into the woods so they hiked into town they were there by about two o'clock that afternoon I had already showered and gotten drinks and uh, luckily, they were down for taking a couple zero days and not hiking for a few days. It was Memorial Day weekend. We just hung out. Everybody was feeling a little rough. So we were all on board with the uh, the taking a break thing. Um, I wouldn't have asked them to stay behind, but I think they probably would have if if I had asked. It's it's that kind of group. It was really great. Nice. Um, I'm curious also just about supplies, because you mentioned like Neosporin and duct tape. So how, <laughs> yeah. much, uh, how much stuff like that? So those kind of supplies did you just have with you at all times? And then even just like how many changes of clothes and how much food, like how, the food stuff, how much were you carrying? And like, did you have like a burner to cook stuff or were you always pretty consistently somewhere that would have a place where you can cook? Like when you say, I think you said 20 pounds on your back. Um, yeah. Like how, what kind of stuff did you have in there? And, uh, and how much were you like buying new things and replenishing when you could? Um, pretty much the only thing I ever had to replenish was food and ibuprofen. Um, so 20 pounds uh, is considered really lightweight. So most people carried more than I did, but I did a lot of research. I was pretty adamant about keeping my light, my uh, weight really light. So clothing, I had zero changes of clothing. Um, when I did laundry, I had to just wear a towel while the laundry was washing because I had nothing else to wear. Um, I mean, I had warm weather clothes, but those got sent home for the middle chunk of the trail. Um, so for me, my priority was being lightweight rather than having a bunch of stuff. Um, 
food, we were able to resupply like every three to six days. We would either pass through a town or by a gas station or a post office where somebody could mail you stuff. Or we were within 10 miles of a town, you could hitchhike in, just get some stuff and get back out. So I was never carrying more than, I don't know, maybe five or six days of food at the most. Um, otherwise, like little resupply stuff, you know, Neosporin, one tube would last you the whole trail. You get a bunch of duct tape, that'll last you the whole trail. Um, hikers get really creative about supplies. Um, we'll share We'll pass around, you know, um, body glide, which is a blister prevention thing, and nobody really cares where you're putting it. Um, you get to get to really pare down to the absolute essentials when you're out there. Um, as far as a stove, they actually have little gas canisters that are about the size of a tennis ball, and you just screw a stove on top of it that just holds your pot and regulates the gas flowing out. Um, so you can basically do anything that you can do with boiling water. So a lot of ramen, a lot of instant rice and noodles. Um, and then everything else I ate was just cold. So bars, crackers, um, uh, chocolate, candy, things like that. So yeah. it's, it's a really simple paired back existence, which kind of feels really good. That was my next question was uh, like, what kind of food did you have on you <laughs> yeah. when you were able to have five or six days worth and, and keep it to 20 pounds? Um, oh, it's such crap. It's awful, <laughs> embarrassing food. It's it's like stuff I would never admit to eating. But it's also like I'm sure setting. you need to consume as many calories as possible if you're totally, hiking. So totally. It's like you can get away. It's like when you hear about like the the Olympic swimmers and their diets and how much they, oh, they yeah. eat. So yeah, you, you can get away with that. Um, oh, yeah. Did you like uh, – because I think I saw you had posted about losing weight while you're out there. Did you try to like – gain some weight and like fatten up and then like store <laughs> before you started uh or did you just kind of go in uh at your at your kind of no your normal your playing weight yeah no I tried to go in and gain a little bit in the six months ahead so like between the wedding and the hike I tried to gain weight but at the same time I was also trying to get in shape so it's like a really delicate balance yeah uh so I think I was able to gain about five pounds, but then I subsequently lost almost 20. Um, and then I was able to gain about five back by really upping my calorie intake. Um, but I still, you know, I came home, people are like, ooh, you look skinny. Uh, so, I mean, the plus side is that I've been able to spend the last month eating whatever I want with the excuse that I'm trying to get back up to a healthy weight. So that's been kind of nice. Nice. How much have you been working out since you got home? Have you, because I think I just see on Instagram, <laughs> you went back hiking, but are you, is this like a new lifestyle? style for you or did you take a solid month off and just say I'm not doing anything uh, I've been for one run since I got back and that's the extent of my exercise um, <laughs> I'm going hiking actually for four days tomorrow but this will be my first time back out in the woods uh, since I finished a month ago so it, honestly like my feet and knees still hurt so much that I limp when I get out of bed every day and it's been a month so I'm just I'm trying to just recover and not so much exercise right now yeah. um, which well, is I a mean, great I, excuse I to think just, you've yeah. earned it yeah <laughs> seems <laughs> fair Thanks. I appreciate that. Um, so, uh, so what kind of places did you sleep in? Cause I, I know you're, uh, the amount of stuff you had, it didn't sound like you said, uh, like gear to build a tent or anything. So are there, uh, just like consistently places to stay or like campsites or, um, cause you know, I guess then you're sort of married to, you know, you have to go X number of miles a day to stop here. Or, you know, maybe if you feel good and you want to do an extra five miles, there might not be a great place to stay. So what was that like just kind of figuring out where you were going to sleep every night and, uh, and making sure you had a good spot? 
Yeah, there's a, a fair amount of flexibility. Um, most people stay in shelters along the way. So um, the ATC and a bunch of different local bodies, they manage, um, they're like platforms with three walls and a slanted roof. So they're called shelters. There's usually a privy there, a fire pit, usually a reliable water source. So some people avoid them because they can be a little dirty and a little crowded and there's usually mice. Um, but I really liked them because of the convenience. You know, there's usually a picnic table and again, a water source. And if it's raining, you have a, a you know, a bit of a roof over your head. Um, so those are spaced out, you know, on average every like eight to 12 miles. Um, so when it was, you know, reasonable to do so, it fit into my plan. I would aim for a shelter. And then there were also, um, I think about half the nights I ended up staying in a shelter. There are a bunch of nights that I did camp and use my tent. Um, so at campsites or in oh, a lot did? of oh, places. Maybe, you're like, yeah, maybe I just misheard yeah. you then when I. Uh... No, I didn't. I didn't say anything about my tent because I really, oh. I barely used it to be honest. I think I only spent like 20 nights in my tent. Um, and then there, are, yeah, there are campsites or you can set your tent up anywhere in a lot of places as long as you don't like make a fire ring or like cut down trees or anything. Um, there are hostels and really crappy motels along the way that you can stop into if you want to shower. Um, and then there were a few nights that I just set my sleeping bag up under the stars and got to watch the meteor showers and woke up with the sun. And those were some of my favorite nights. Yeah, that's really cool. And, and yeah. so how many of those nights was that sort of your decision? And, and how many was it? Because because uh, I know you spent a lot of time with this group. Uh, was it kind of you had just come to a group consensus or were, were people kind of flexible of, well, I'm going to do this. You guys can do that and, and I'll see you in the morning. Yeah, it was a mix of both. There were some times where somebody really wanted to push on and move ahead and we'd say, great, we'll see you in a couple of days or somebody wanted to slow down. Same thing. Um, most of the time we were able to come to a consensus of like, all right, we want to be in this town that's 100 miles away in six days. Does everybody feel good about that? Yes. Great. OK, so here's what we want to do. Um, I, I never felt like I compromised any of what I wanted to do to stay with the group. Um, but at the same time, I think they also pushed me to move a little faster than I would have otherwise, which I actually really appreciate because it got to really, you know, push me and test me and see how many miles I could really do. Um, so, yeah, sometimes we were playing catch up. Sometimes we would split up and we just needed some alone time and nobody took it personally. Um, and then we always really enjoyed it when we were able to meet back up and get back together and all be together at a shelter. So it was a good combination. Okay, so I'm curious uh, just about because I know you listen to podcasts and uh, and not just mine, but others as well. Um, <laughs> but what else did you do to kind of pass the time or like for entertainment? I guess did you have um, like books or like journaling or anything else like that? I'm just, I'm curious like the actual hiking. How much of that was talking to people? How much of it was just kind of being silent, but you know, thinking in your own head about you know, whatever. And, and how much was like podcasts or, you know, I'm just kind of curious how you, uh, how you helped pass the time and what you did to, to sort of stay sane out there, I guess, for, for lack of a better <laughs> word and, and stay entertained. Yeah, it was kind of a mix of a few different things. So I discovered podcasts. I'd never listened to them before this hike. So that was kind of fun. Um, so I discovered some great like uh, outdoor women podcasts and running podcasts. And I'm vegan. So I found some like vegan vegetarian podcasts, just things that, you know, I could jump back and forth between TED Talks, things like that. Um, sometimes I was in the mood for an audiobook, So I listened to, for example, the entire Harry Potter series. And that was great for kind of tough, crappy days when I just wanted to transport myself and just bang out some boring miles and, you know, 
get to camp and just go to sleep. Um, I had long, a Kindle much, with me. How much audio is that for the entire Harry Potter series? Oh, you know, I was looking at that today. Some of the books are like 28 hours, 25 hours. It's it it lasted me a solid uh, two months, I think, with like using it sparingly. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd highly recommend it for anybody planning a long hike. I uh, did music. I had playlists. Um, I discovered the musical Hamilton. So I listened to a lot of Hamilton. Um, and then sometimes I just felt like being in silence. Um, the trail was, there was not as much nature noise as you might think. So it's not like I was ignoring all the bird song. Um, sometimes it was just dead silent. And that was kind of nice actually to just be in my head and process some things that I'm trying to figure out in my life and make decisions on some things and kind of just do this like rabbit hole of digging into my own brain and seeing what happens. And sometimes it got weird and sometimes I had revelations and sometimes I could not tell you what I thought about for eight hours. Um, so it just kind of depended on what mood I was in that day. And so did you just find uh, like, I guess at these shelters, did they have like places to charge your phone and get Wi-Fi and stuff like that? Or like, <laughs> Aww, where, where was, I, I, I know that's like, I assumed they didn't. So this is like, you have to go to a, like when you're in a hotel or you're in town, like how did you yeah. keep your how did you keep your phone battery up? Because I'm it sounds like you're talking about it's like three walls and you're outside and there's mice. So yeah. it's like okay, so how did you get Wi-Fi and charge your cell phone uh, to listen to all of Harry Potter? Uh, yeah, there were um, when we would stop into towns, you know, we would like hang out a gas station and charge our phones, kind of things like that. Um, if you turn your phone on airplane mode and you never take it out, it will last for days, even when you're listening to music. Um, so that was a nice discovery. So I would just use my phone sometimes for music and pictures and it would last about five days. Uh, I also did carry a backup battery that would charge it probably twice. Pretty much everybody carried a backup battery. Um, yeah, and we would just charge it whenever we could. It's like, you know, you walk into a restaurant and the first thing you look for is the outlets um, that kind of got to be like Pavlovian. Uh, and then, yeah, when I was in town and had Wi-Fi, I would load up on, you know, a whole bunch of podcasts and audiobooks, and hopefully that would keep me going until the next town stop. Or, you know, that's when you just have silence and that's fine too. Yeah. See, I, I was asking a question that I knew was stupid at the time I was asking it, <laughs> and it had a very simple answer, and the answer was airplane mode, and now I know. <laughs> now um, you know, for your next hike. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and then you also, uh, am I right, some of the stuff that you wrote, you were writing while you were on the trail, or was that all, maybe I had my time, my times wrong, and you wrote a lot of that beforehand or after, but were you sort of, I, I know you posted to Instagram uh, a bunch of times, but were you also kind of writing these blog posts? What, uh, Appalachian Trials, was that the website? Um, yeah. Was, were you doing that while you were hiking, or was that all just kind of before and after? Oh, yeah. No, that was blogging, live blogging the hike. So Appalachian Trials is a great website that was started by a guy who through hiked. And he's actually the one who really started people thinking, I mean, people thought about it before, but he put like, he wrote a book about it, uh, kind of the mental part of hiking. So he started a blog where he would get people to contribute. And uh, every year he has about 20 bloggers who are hiking and some, you know, write twice, and you never hear from again, and some blog the whole time. Um, so it's just like a compilation of bloggers with all different perspectives. So it's a great resource. Um, yeah, so I was accepted to blog for them. And anytime I had thoughts, I would just type them into my notepad feature. Or, you know, when I got to town, I had a down day, I would just sit down and uh, put out a post and try to figure out how to do the mobile. And that was always fun with wireless and everything. But it was a good way to um, kind of process my thoughts as they were happening. Uh, rather than trying to do it all in retrospect. But yeah, there was 
uh, often, but not always enough service just to at least get a text through so that people knew I was okay. But then I would have to wait till a town stop with Wi-Fi to uh, post to Instagram or update my blog. Um, so it was a really good balance, I think, of letting people know that I was alive and kind of experience kind of a little bit what I was going through and also being able to completely disconnect and not feel bombarded. So I was pretty happy with how that worked out. Yeah, and I figured you're talking about how uh, there would be a post office two towns away that people could send stuff to you. So I, I figured at some point, you know, the the most important people knew roughly where you were at all times, and they'd be able to kind of send stuff ahead of time, even if you were able to unplug for a couple of days, which must have been nice. Yeah, it was great. Um, actually, one of the places I worked, they got the big, like, four-foot-tall map, and whenever I would update, they would uh, put in a little pin with a date. They would track me for all the customers who were interested in where I was, so they have the most up-to-date record of anybody. That's very cool. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, so now that you're back, and, and I, I sort of, uh, you know, I wrote down some, some questions beforehand, and this is something I wanted to ask you, but I know you've kind of touched on a little already. But uh -huh. what, what are the biggest things that you've learned just either about yourself or about life and kind of the world, but uh, sort of looking back at the whole experience now with, uh, with a few weeks past you, you know, what are some of the biggest things you took away from the whole experience? Oh, that's a big question. I think I'm still processing. Um, gosh, I think that I have realized that um, I probably don't want to do the nine to five Monday to Friday thing. And I think a lot of people in our generation are kind of uh, waking up to this idea that you can take many retirements and, you know, make your job work for you. So I think it's a matter of not compromising what you want to do for the sake of what everybody tells you that you should do, which might sound a little cheesy. But, you know, you get a lot of pressure from people to have the conventional job and the conventional life and stay home with the kids and, you know, work till you're 65. But I think kind of questioning that a little bit and figuring out how you can make your life work better for you to make you happier is something that you shouldn't compromise on. Um, also, it's kind of a sense of accomplishment. You know, it's day to day. It doesn't seem that exciting. But when you look back at the big picture and like, holy crap, I actually did that. It's a really empowering thing, especially, you know, for women who are told that the woods aren't safe or you can't travel alone. I think that's also really empowering and really um, kind of eye-opening that you really can do a lot of things that people tell you you can't. You just have to, you know, maybe do a little research and make it happen for yourself. Nobody's going to make it happen for you. Um, so I think kind of the confidence and the, like, questioning of anything that you may have been told in the past is also a really cool thing that's come out of it. And just, like, just that there are awesome people everywhere. You never know where you're going to meet people and what kind of experiences you'll have in common and what you may or may not share. And just to keep your mind open. Yeah. Were you in uh, like one of those nine to fives? Because I don't know what your job was uh, in this place that was mapping you with the pins everywhere every time <laughs> they had an update. But were you doing kind of the conventional nine to five before you uh, took off for this? Not immediately before the trail. Um, back in like 2013, I was working in clinical pharma research in a cubicle, um, and that was not doing it for me. So that's when I, I quit that. And ever since then, I've been kind of in more like non-traditional jobs. I've been a yoga teacher. I've been working at a glass art studio, at a coffee shop. Um, for the two years before the hike, I was kind of taking whatever odd jobs I could get to pay for it. But um you know, kind of figuring out what it is I want to do and taking a little freedom and jobs that I can just kind of leave for a few months at a time and it's okay. Um, so even though I don't make nearly as much money, I am way happier than I used to be and I certainly don't regret it. Nice. 
how often do you catch yourself doing something where you're like, oh, man, <laughs> if I was – so, like, one way or the other, either, like, oh, man, if I was on the trail and I saw myself doing this, I would be so ashamed, even if it's just, like, throwing out, like, a small amount of leftover food or just, like, <laughs> I'm, like, a little bit dirty, I'm going to just take a shower <laughs> because I feel like it, or, uh, or just, like, you know, the other side where you, like, sort of have changed your behavior because of the way you did things, you're like, oh, I'm just going to suck this up and do it. Like, how – even if it's just like a small, like minor daily thing, like how often does something like that happen that it just makes you uh, think back or act the way you did on the trail or, uh, <laughs> or you catch yourself and, and stop it? Um, gosh, it's uh, I can't think of any like one particular thing. I think actually I can. I think um, so like buying coffee every morning has become my new routine, which it always used to be. And now it is again. And that's a little embarrassing because I was able to kick the caffeine habit on the trail. And then you're also like wasting the cup every day. So I try to bring my own cup when I can. But I've also kind of sunk back into that like consumption mindset a little bit. Um, it's. <laughs> It's actually kind of the opposite where I find myself doing stuff that is like not necessarily what normal people do in real life. That's trail stuff. Um, so like my sister, you know, she when she dropped food on the floor, she like looked at me and she's like, so are you going to pick that up and eat it? And I was like, oh, you know, my instinct was yes, but I feel like that's not the right answer. <laughs> um, so some things like that have been kind of a weird adjustment. But. I think the best part is that I'm just so not phased by stupid little things now. Um, you know, if I'm like waiting in a line or like in traffic, like things that used to annoy me, it's kind of like, this is so not like an important thing to get worked up about, you know, like an important thing to get worked up about is do I have enough drinking water to get through this day or do I have enough food to get through this section or like, am I going to freeze to death tonight or is this thunderstorm going to kill me? And it's just kind of like it puts everything in perspective, which I do try to try to come back to. Do you have uh, I'm curious, like, I don't know about like close calls, but like those kinds of stories, like thunderstorms and like freezing cold or anything with like bears or like other wildlife like do you have stories about just like the I guess just like the craziest thing or like the toughest thing or or kind of the one story like if you're you know I imagine you're meeting other hikers and you kind of swap stories about like oh yeah well I went through this and like oh well, one time I did that like you know what is there a is there a story that stands out as like something that was just like either tough or funny or interesting or just one of those like you would never believe this thing that happened to me story? <laughs> um I don't think anybody was like ever in mortal peril. Um, I mean, there were plenty of close encounters with bears and rattlesnakes and um, I mean, nothing really dangerous. Um, some of the, the more dangerous things were actually like other people where you're kind of like, eh, this person's a little sketching me out, like somebody who's giving you a, a hitch into town, but is also talking about how like they might just crash their car, ha ha ha, because they've been drinking. And it's like, eh, maybe I shouldn't be in this vehicle. And this is something I'm not going to tell my mother about. Um, there was well, I hope she doesn't listen to this. Oh, not me. Don't worry. Oh, I would okay. never. Yeah. Hi, mom. Uh, <laughs> Probably my craziest moment was um, there's a mountain in Maine and it's in the Bigelow range and it kind of like goes up like devil horns and it dips in the middle. And so I got over the first horn and the weather was kind of deteriorating and I was thinking, all right, if I can just get over the second horn and get out of this dip, I'll be okay. And as I'm climbing up, I have my, my rain jacket on, I have my head down, I'm not really looking around and all of a sudden I'm above tree line 
and I start seeing lightning and there's thunder and I'm trapped between these two big peaks and there's literally nowhere to go. So I kind of like crouched down. I put down my trekking pole so I wasn't carrying anything, anything metallic. And I waited until I could count like two minutes between the, the thunder and the lightning. And I just tried to run over the top of this mountain. But the wind was blowing so hard that it literally ripped my jacket off of me. And I had to stop because I couldn't take steps at some points because if I had lifted my foot and my trekking poles, I actually would have been blown over. So that was by far the scariest moment. I probably should have stayed hunkered down and not tried to get over that. But that's another one that we're just going to not tell mom about. Yeah. Um, that's, and that was you got all the way to Maine and then that, and then had your uh, crazy, yeah. scariest moment. And yeah, it, I was literally thinking, like, of course, it would be in the final two weeks of my hike, and it'll be like the, you know, she should have known better kind of thing. It starts in Georgia, right? I don't think we said that at the top. But yeah, it's yeah, it starts it's in North Georgia. Georgia all the way to Maine, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it passes through 14 states on the way. Okay. Um, uh-huh. Can you name them? Name all 14? Yeah, are you ready? I'm ready. Go as fast okay. as you can. Oh, geez. Okay, in order. It's Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, um, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine. I hope that was 14. All right. I wasn't counting, but it sounded good to me. I might have missed one along. in there. Okay, fair enough. If okay. anyone if yeah. anyone caught yeah. it, they can let us know. Um, yeah, definitely. All right. I guess just, just the last thing, this has been fun, but any, any and you've, you've talked about it a little bit, just any advice for people who want to do either specifically this or something like this what would you tell to somebody who's just uh feeling maybe like you were feeling that it's just time to do something crazy and interesting and exciting and uh and you know what would you say to people uh about taking a chance like that yeah i would say you're never going to know how it's going to go until you try it so whatever your hang-ups are just you know make note of them do any research you can to get past it and then just go out there and see what happens. And it might never end up being an issue. Um, Do some research, but don't overthink. Um, Trust your gut. Do not listen to any jerk who tells you you've got the wrong gear because they are probably just insecure and don't know what they're talking about. Um, And just, you know, maybe start out with a short hike and see how it goes and trust that your body can do more than you think it can. And, you know, just prep yourself mentally. It's going to be hard. Parts of it are going to suck. It's not always going to be fun. But remember why you're out there and remember how crappy it would feel if you quit. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. It was nice to (laughs) finally uh, talk to you over Skype, I guess, after trading some emails. And uh, and I appreciate it. I guess if anyone wants to follow you, I know I usually uh, talk to people in media and they all have their like Twitter handles and their stuff that they're doing is, but I guess uh, even though you're done, you're through hiking, I know you're still posting all kinds of stuff. So I guess if people want to find you on Instagram, you're at yeah. Nicole Young one and yeah. it's Nicole with a CH and then Young, yeah. and then the number one. So I'd say if anyone wants yeah. to find you, that's the spot. Is there anywhere else? Like if you're still blogging or I think you had a video on YouTube, is there anywhere else where people can catch you if they want to see either some of the stuff that you've written or anything else that you've done or are doing coming up? Yeah. So Instagram is definitely the way to go. I've got a lot of other hikes and adventures coming up, so there will still be more to come. Um, and then I am still blogging at Appalachian Trials. I'm going to keep writing for them. They have a lot of bloggers, so you can either search me as Nicole Young or you can get there from my Instagram. So I, I hopefully still have interesting things to say post-hike. <laughs> definitely, like I said, still more adventures to come. And you, oh, you know what? I totally uh, forgot to bring this up, but you also were contributing to your charity for water, right, during your hike. Is that yeah. uh Do you want to explain how that worked uh, just a little bit and and how you were able to raise some money? 
Oh yeah, so I was. Uh, I, my goal was to raise two thousand one hundred and eighty-nine dollars for water.org. Um, you know, when you're out hiking, water is kind of your number one thing that you have to worry about, and it's easy for us hikers, but there are a lot of people out there who literally cannot get clean water in their day, and it's just the most basic need that I think we need to address. So um, the way water.org works, you can only open your fundraising page for three months, so it ended back in June, but I hit almost three thousand dollars. So taught some yoga classes, reached out to my friends and family. Some people, you know, pledged a penny per mile for $21.89. Some people pledged a dollar per mile. Everybody was amazing and generous, and I really appreciate that they were able to contribute. And uh, I think we ended up providing clean water for life for like 87 people, which is just huge. Yeah, it's really cool. All right, good. I'm glad that I uh, remembered to, yeah. to bring that up at the very end there. Um, so thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. People can uh, check out your feed on Instagram and everywhere else. And everyone else, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Mitch Goldich, M-I-T-C-H-G-O-L-D-I-C-H. Also, hopefully, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can there's subscribe no in to that. it. Uh, there's no T in that. This is uh, an inside joke for those who listen to the old podcast. There's a T in Mitch, no T in Goldich. Uh, yeah, you've heard a very similar version of this outro uh, probably like 25 <laughs> times. Um, but hopefully if you enjoyed this, uh, you can subscribe, leave a rating and a review. It really helps other people discover it. I usually talk to people in sports media. So, uh, if you're a fan of that one, I had a, a good episode with Dan Hicks who called the Olympic swimming from Rio, which was fun. Uh, Jason Stark, Jeff Perlman, uh, actually came on and talked about, uh, his new book when he was still, when he had just announced that he was writing a book about Brett Favre and the book actually just came out. And I uh, have read a couple excerpts that he published, including one at SI.com. So if you are interested in uh, in him and his book, you can check out a podcast that he and I did uh, earlier this year uh, about the whole process. And let's see, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, Mitch Goldich, sports writer. I'm on Instagram, although my feed is not as interesting as Nicole's. And uh, you can also visit my website, MitchGoldich.com, where I've got all my uh, best work that I've written and a blog uh, that I update occasionally and all my podcasts and all that good stuff, I'm easy to find. So uh, thanks, everybody, who does that. Thanks to Nicole again. This was a lot of fun. And I'll Yeah, thank you so much and, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, it was really cool, and, and I think it was fun to do something a little different than I usually do on here, uh, but definitely cool to hear all the details. So thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope you enjoyed it, and I'll talk to you again soon.